But I still believe that culturally it's built in us. I don't know, the members jab us with something on the way out of the womb, but it's like, you know, you, you make it in life, you know, in the great Australian dream when you've got your significant partner, your significant career, you own your own home and boy, oh boy, if you bought an investment, your family's raving about it to everybody at the club. So I think that it's still there, but I think we've got to educate people better on how they can do it. And that's the challenge. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. For more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier for your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. And to get new episodes of Elevate directly to your inbox, sign up at eliteagent.com slash subscribe. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, it's Sam here. The property management industry has faced a number of challenges in the last few years with investors pulling out, talent shortages, increased scrutiny and legislative changes. However, in the midst of all of this, there are still some amazing people doing great work, including my guest today. She's no stranger to challenging industry norms and is known for her no-holds-barred approach to pushing boundaries and challenging the status quo. For 20 years, she's developed a reputation as one of the best strategists for growing talent and businesses in real estate, helping those in the industry learn more, do more, be more, and make more. Today, we're going to dive into some wisdom and I'm sure some wit from the one and only Fiona Blaney. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here and what a wonderful introduction. Yeah, you know, you can always write the best introductions yourself, but when somebody else writes them for you and says such wonderful things, Sam, I'm very humbled and I'm excited to be able to share some thoughts today. Yeah, well, now you've got to follow up with the wit too because I said wit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'm great. How about we start with that? <laughs> let's start with that. All right, let's start with that. So sum up 2023 in a word so far. Productive. Yeah, good good word. Why do you say that? Well, because I canned the word busy from my vocabulary many, many years ago. And I think that, you know, the automatic default is people say, oh, I've been busy. How are you busy? And with what I actually do in a day, both, you know, personally and professionally, it is by anybody else's term, it would be busy. For me, it's just productive. It's what we get done. But I also use productive because as you asked me that, I went to my clients And I don't know, you know, some of them haven't necessarily grown this year, you know, by the traditional sense of the word, because they've been backfilling on property loss and or inactiveness because of the markets and things like that are happening. But I think that overall, you know, everybody's really held their own and I would call that productive. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I mean, I've got a list of things I want to dive into, sorry, with you today. And that's one of them, actually, like it has to have been like, I mean, look, we can unpack the actual supply crisis and things like that. But with investors, now the headlines are all about investors leaving the market at the moment and obviously a lot of legislative changes and things like that. So how are property management businesses doing as far as just things like profitability? Oh, look, you've got a couple of things, right? If you segmented property management out on its own, you know, even property management as its own business, notwithstanding some of the challenges that we've got with combined sales and property management P&Ls, but if we look at PM just on its own, you know, as you take a trip around the country and into each kind of even little pockets of, of states and territories, 
we're seeing, like you said, investors leaving. And, you know, I know that, you know, say, for example, in Victoria, I think it's for every three properties that are sold from a rent roll, one property returns. And those sorts of, of numbers are quite astonishing in a business operational sense. So, you know, you then start to say, we're not replacing a property management staff member, or, you know, we're really trying to claw back on costs around the whole business. And, you know, you get to a point where there's only, there's only so much, you know, sharpening of the pencil that you can do on a P&L before, you know, it really starts to filter through to, you know, there being no profit. I'm going into, you know, some businesses where certainly the small guys, Sam, where it feels like, and in fact is on some P&Ls, that the business owners have, you know, been paying the business out of their own back pockets over the last 12 months. So, look, I don't know what the answer is yet. What I know is a process to the solution that we can control because we only have so much in our control. And that is, it's never been more important probably than when we were back at GFC time, when we, you know, we probably could play a podcast or what would have been a video cast at that point, where we would be saying, you know, making sure that you know exactly where every dollar and cent is going and ensuring that you're getting the return on investment that you need. But you've got to overlay that now with the whole people piece, which we probably didn't have as much focus on, you know, back in that GFC time. Yeah, well, that's on my very long list of things here that, you know, like I'm pointing to a very long list here of things that I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, let's go deeper into that a little bit. But also there's a talent crisis going on out there. And I've heard, you know, the number of 4,000 vacant property manager jobs on Seek right now. What are you finding out there, like on the ground? Is it that bad? Are people still really unable to find, you know, good people to fill their teams with? Yeah, what a question. Look, you said before that I like breaking thought. So I probably might start with a little bit of thought breaking. So look, of all the data that I've read, one of the most interesting data pieces for me is around, you know, these Gen Zs and so forth. You know, we'll call them the younger guys, Sam, certainly younger than me. And look, what's happening is they're going to have about 17 different jobs across a lifetime, five industry sectors, okay? Now, if you do the maths on that based on the, the lifetime of an employee, you know, you end up with about two and a half, three years worth of employment. If we go back to pre-COVID to now, wow, oh, two and a half, three years, right, since that whole fiasco started. And so we had this period of time where you know, people didn't leave their jobs unless they were making some big lifetime, you know, life change, sea change, et cetera, moving away from their area, not necessarily just a job because nobody really wanted to be unemployed in COVID, right? And so I feel like, you know, this period that we're in, is pretty much, it's a sand banking of resignations. Yeah. And we're seeing that across all sectors. This is not just real estate alone. This is all sectors. And then if we look at immigration challenges, we even look at, you know, lowest employment period, uh, sorry, unemployment rates, but we've also had the highest number of people in the workforce in the last 10 years. So there's all these things that are playing against us, right? Or against the whole job market, really, right? Or employer market. And so if you go to property management now as a sector, you had people who really held the fort. I think Chris Hanley's called them the nurses of real estate, right, during that time. So when we go to that space as to where we are now, I think we've actually got to re-engineer who we're looking for, how we're going to provide function within our business, right? So are we outsourcing, and I'm happy to talk to that, but are we outsourcing job functions? Are we, you know, re-employing into same-for-same same roles 
or are you going to completely redefine what you're doing? And I think everybody has to be looking at the evolution of their structure and their process delivery strategy to you know, work with the current workforce and what's available. And if you're not, then yeah, absolutely, of course, you're going to be stuck with job vacancy. I've heard people with six months, they've not had a property manager in a role for. And it's just ludicrous. It's the definition of insanity, right? You're still trying to do the same thing and hoping that somebody appears, I don't know where, from the glory clouds with the tooth fairy, like just not happening. It's still, and I don't know about you, but to me it still feels like this storm of, you know, we've seen a couple, like 2023 has been interesting because we've seen a couple of the low cost business models not survive. Yes. And I'm sure you know how I'm talking about there. Absolutely. We've got, you know, still downward pressure on fees, investors leaving the market, people unable to fill property management roles. I mean, this is a big question, but when will the roller coaster sort of come to a stop and, you know, how do we turn this thing around? I think it's not necessarily a roller coaster. I think it's an amusement park, if I can stay with the analogy, right? And there's always going to be rides going. That's business, you know, your business, my businesses, like, there's always something and that's evolution and that's community and that's just business and life worldwide, right? It's like the story of anybody's life. There's always something going on and hopefully there is. And sometimes you like the ride and sometimes, you know, you're vomiting into the, into the bin as you come off. Uh, I don't mind rides in the traditional sense, but I actually love this stuff because I think that through necessity, we create opportunity and I know that, you know, the businesses that we work with in the various parts of what I do, but the businesses that we work with, we've got some of them, they're just starting out, right? They've got their first, you know, 60, 100 managements in year one, yeah? And they're starting out brand new business, you know, all, all wide-eyed and excited. And, you know, when you're in that first year of business, you do whatever it takes to be successful. Maybe we just, as a more established businesses now, we have to do more of what it takes. And perhaps we've had it. I haven't thought of this before. This is just coming into my mind now. It's like maybe we haven't had to do it enough. Maybe COVID created the necessity to take action because it was forced upon us. But perhaps before that, maybe we weren't evolving fast enough. I don't know. These are just the thoughts that are populating. And maybe now the bigger businesses, maybe we're actually having to step in and go, right, okay, now let's get back, not back to basics. I don't want to call it that, but, you know, really back into strategic thought and planning and, you know, real consideration around this three to four to five year model and perhaps the employment pieces and all of these other things that are happening in the amusement park are causing us to do that. Yeah. I mean, if not more doors, because clearly the number of doors is sort of decreasing, is it going to require someone to get creative and like create more revenue per door? Yeah. I think that, well, look, we're seeing that there's certainly, you know, some modelling. Are you stagnant? Are you building, right? Or are you, you know, reducing, okay? And in the reducing model, I think the interesting thing with the rent rolls that we work with that are in the reduction phase, right, where you get in this divestment of investors, they're selling those properties, right? So they're getting 80% of those that sales revenue coming off their rent roll. And some of those businesses are having their most financial periods in sales in an investment space for some time, if not of all time. And so then it's about getting smart with the balancing, right? And then getting this new business model right. So 
maybe the, it's then about bottom line profit, not necessarily about asset, because we focus quite heavily on our asset. And you might find your percentage wise, you get the similar profits or maybe even grow those profit lines with a reduced portfolio. Who knows what's going to happen with the asset base of a portfolio over the next five years? I don't know. Yes, creative, ancillary for the bigger businesses, ancillary income solutions, you know, getting in different service models. We will have to pick back up in that investment space because we've got migration coming through. We've got just the requirement for housing. Obviously, we've seen at state government, federal government levels, you know, they're um, setting precedents there around or requirements, should I say, around the building of homes and the creation of homes. We're going to need to see some more movement with that. I think if you look at REA, they'll say that they're starting to see some numbers coming back into the market. So it's on the improve, but it's going to take a few years. So kind of got to white knuckle it and hold on. And really, it's going to be, you know, sort out hobby workers, business owners and job havers. You just reminded me of something that, you know, Matt LaHood likes to say, which is, you know, every storm has to run out of rain. Yeah, it will correct because we're in the industry of homes, right? And whether you own a property elsewhere, you know, that whole sentiment of own where you can afford, live where you want to, that's going to continue. You know, we're not seeing any much shift. I think I saw some stats recently around, you know, COVID actually just bringing forward home ownership for first-time investors over the next three years. So, you know, whether or not we see what the balancing out of that first-time first homeowners is over the next period, have we seen the spike on that? I don't know. Investors starting to trickle back in because we have to have property investors in this country. Like it's a reality. You know, we've got the international markets in terms of international owners and their ability to even purchase in Australia at an all-time low. So we're going to need to see more of that. And the government is in a corner. They have to do something about it because, as you talked about when you first opened, it's this the housing shortage. That need is not going away. Like I'm not moving back in with mum and dad. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> you know, I took the key off me a while ago. And I know I'm in a fortunate position that way. So I say that in jest. But like you said, it's just a short-term situation. It will correct because we will have to. I don't know what that will then mean for rental values. You know, that might be impacted. But I think the other side of it for us in our industry that's really hurting us is the kind of perfect storm, if I continue with that, of the cost of living increases in general, salary adjustments, remuneration trends in different locations teamed with that reduction of rent roll income. Yeah. It's funny, you just said, you know, the trend of rent vesting, like there's never been a better time to be a tenant, actually, you know, just thinking about it because we bought a place, I can't even remember how long. And it's funny, I see both sides of this, like we bought a place after I don't know how long, interest rates went up on us like month on month on month. So the mortgage payments are going up and up and up. And all of a sudden, if I go back to being a tenant, then my rent is fixed for a year. And it's almost like, you know, is the great Australian dream changing? Is it different now to what it used to be? Mm. I think the dream is still the dream. (laughs) I think that there was certainly this big thing around, you know, like I said, buy where you can afford. But I still believe that culturally it's built in us. I don't know, the members jab us with something on the way out of the womb, but it's like, you know, you make it in life, you know, in the great Australian dream when you've got your significant partner, your significant career, you own your own home and boy, oh boy, if you bought an investment, your family's raving about it to everybody at the club. 
So I think that it's still there, but I think we've got to educate people better on how they can do it. And that's the challenge. As you would, you know, we talk to young people in our industry, even in our sector all the time, property management people, real estate people, and there is still a fear of how will I ever do it? And I know we jokingly talk about this avocado toast um, thing, but it's more around where they read so much about how it's not possible. Maybe we actually need to be educating, now I'm getting really off track, but in the school sectors and other sectors around how it is possible. How do you do it? How did you do it? How did I do it? You know, because the ability to get on the ladder, if you like, if that's going to be your financial freedom opportunity of choice, then we need to help people understand how to do it, not how hard it is to do it. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, like everyone I've talked to this year is has made the point that it's taken us a long time to get here. So it's going to take some radical thinking to get us out. And it's not going to happen overnight, right? No, it's not going to happen overnight. Nothing good does. And there's going to be a buckload of challenges and obstacles to get there. And there's so many different elements of the community, you know, political, social, environmental, you know, because you throw the sustainability requirements over the top of everything. And, you know, it's not, let's just walk in a room and tell people to I'll just go and build 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 houses and pop them there. You know, it's so much to think about because, you know, we could all talk about different, I wish I could think of the name of the suburb, you may know it, but there's a location here in Sydney, a region in Sydney where they build a whole range of new homes, but there's no transport and there's actually no shopping facilities near there. You know, so all these people built these new homes, but no infrastructure was ever put in place that was meant to be there. And now, you know, they've all, there's a huge amount of money being lost off the back end of it. and So it, the planning takes time to get it right. And whilst we have a need, we equally don't want to rush it too much, I think, in that housing sector. And then that kind of follows through with everything else, doesn't it? Yeah. So I want to pull something actionable out of this. Like if you're a principal sitting here listening to this, and we've talked a lot about the what and the why of how we sort of hear in, in a bit of a difficult year. And I guess there would be a lot of principals or business owners that are probably thinking, God, I want a holiday. This has been a year for the this has been a year for the record books. What are some of the things that you're telling your clients, you know, like first things first, if you're feeling a bit, you know, sort of overwhelmed and you don't know where to look or where to turn, what would your first sort of tip or piece of advice be? My gut reaction there was two. One was to get them to come back to their why. So, you know, why have you got this business in the first place? What were you hoping to achieve, you know, at its core? And are we in alignment with that? And is the achievement of that why actually possible under the current circumstances? You know, what do we need to adjust? Do we need to adjust the why or do we need to adjust you and the business? So where does that sit? Because I think that in periods of flux, we don't focus on that a lot. And I have a lot of conversations and, you know, at the risk of sounding self-indulgent, I was doing the why with clients 20 years ago because I quickly found that people had businesses, but they didn't actually know why they had the business. It was like sometimes, you know, you end up in a relationship or you're in a marriage or you're doing something else. You don't know why you're there. You just all of a sudden, you just realize it was the next step, right? So sometimes business ownership is just the next step of a career development, but you've really got to understand why it is you've got it. And it's not for everybody. And I dare say that there's a range of business owners out there that actually shouldn't be business owners or perhaps their dreams and aspirations are somebody else's and not theirs. So I think that's the why is the first thing I do with them. And then the second thing is we actually claw through numbers. We get real on 
what the numbers look like, what those trigger points are, you know, what the levers are for the numbers, you know, and when I'm talking about numbers, I mean financials and then the activity behind it. And we don't necessarily, when you're not looking at it or perhaps you're not numbers minded, then you cannot see the pattern. I'm really good at seeing the pattern. And so I can run my eye down a P&L and an activity sheet and go, ah, hang on a minute, that's the problem. I can see it. Let's draw a line around that, circle around that. And now what could we do to make some radical change and quick change here to get you know, this particular outcome. And if those two things align and then they align with the why, we can make things happen really quickly and people will roll up the sleeves and get back in and get dirty. But to your point, business owners are tired. Last year was meant to be the year of getting back to normal. No, it wasn't. That was that was a faux pas. We've kind of done that this year and then we've been hit again with obviously the continuing challenges. So I think what's your why? Really clear on that. And then the numbers and the activity behind it and those levers to pull to enact some significant change. Yeah, gosh, I almost feel like time stopped for a second there because I remember, I mean, you are a bit like Rain Man with numbers, like when you sort of get going. And I remember, you know, just watching you when we did Transform Masters like all that time ago, how quickly you were able to pinpoint, you know, you've got to change this, 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 and it was amazing. And and those people made real change back then. And I guess, you know, like it's just, We've been through a pandemic and all that sort of thing, but sometimes the solid principles remain, yeah? The solid principles remain always. Like I was with a group, I work with a particular BDM cohort in Victoria and I was with them a couple of weeks ago and everybody was, we were talking about results and activity and we've got some pretty hairy audacious goals there. And anyway, I got them all to put their numbers down. So we had all the numbers down of activity that we've done. So things, all the prospecting type activities. And then we moved to results. And there was a literally the direct correlation between result and target versus activity and target. So actuals and targets, they're the same percentages. And I'm like, oh, blow is me. Here we go. Let's just turn up the activity notch on that and that, and we're going to get that. And it happened and we did it and we hit the goals. Like it's not, you know, kilojoules out, kilojoules in. Yeah. When you put it like that, the numbers just don't lie, do they? They don't lie. But we get so busy because that's what people will say they are. I'm too busy to look at that or I was too busy to look at that. Like I've got clients now, they ring me and the first word I say is budget. I'm like, where is yeah. your budget? I don't have your budget yet. And they go, oh, yeah, and then I quickly hung up, right? And it's because <laughs> it's, but sometimes if that's not your skill set, probably this is the third thing, right, is when you've got your why, if you don't know your numbers, right, or you don't know how to work them, you don't know how to read them, you don't know what those levers are, Get somebody with you that does, and that's something you should invest in. Even if you cannot invest at the moment, you feel like you've got no money to spend anywhere, invest in somebody doing that because they will find the revenue on the cost savings within what you're doing in a way that won't be detrimental to your business outcomes. Right? And sometimes we make those changes and they're very detrimental to the outcomes. You cannot shave costs on income-producing activity as an example. And I see people do that. They go through their line items. It's hilarious. They'll go through like, oh, we need to cut back on training. I'm like, okay. So you've got people in your team that feel completely unsupported. They don't know where to go to, but you're going to cut the training line. That's a great idea. Just little things like that. They have a really big impact. And then recruitment goes up. Then you've got six months worth of no people in your business. Rant over. (laughs) Yeah, well, I was going to say, and then you're in that vicious circle of needing to recruit again, and that costs money, and then training them costs money. And then there's just that snowball effect. So, you know, like 
I sort of feel you're allowed to have your soapbox on that one. That was, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a fun conversation. Yeah. Let's dig into marketing because obviously it's one of my favourite topics, but I actually think that PMs have been hit from all sides in marketing as well this year. And again, this has got to do with the fact that it's never been a better time to be a tenant, I suppose, legislative-wise, and there's tenant advocates out there are noisy than ever thanks to AI and the internet and all of that sort of stuff. There was something in the news a couple of weeks ago, recently, I think, where a property manager had done a really good job for their investor. You know, they'd managed to rent a property that was, you know, for a premium price, had done all the right things as far as their job for who they were acting for is concerned, and yet they still get dragged through the media as being, you know, money-hungry investors and things like that. What gives there? Like, it must be so hard to market your business as a property manager or as a BDM. Like, what's working out there and what can keep you out of those news stories? I don't know that there's much that can keep you out of those news stories, right? It's like you go to a sales context. I had a client of mine, I coach a couple of sales agents on the down low, but I don't, one of my sales guys was... Oh, I tell anyone. Yeah, don't tell anyone. Yeah, I prefer PM. <laughs> and, don't tell and so anyway, it's, it's a business I do a lot of work with and they had this prospective purchaser complain because they had sent out the mail out of the announcement of the sale price, right? And this purchaser was angry that they'd gotten an email that was promoting the purchase price. It was just a, you know, a just sold mail out, right? Yeah. So you're never going to please everybody all of the time. You're just not. And we need to look at what are the reasons why our clients or prospective clients are going to choose us. And we have to share the wins that we have in that regard. I think what we need to do is we just have to be tasteful around it, right? So it's not, you're not doing a mail out necessarily in a social, I shouldn't say mail out, but in a social tile that says, you know, record rent increases in, you know, Sydney's inner west, you know, highest rental increases thanks to Blaney real estate. I think that's just asking for trouble, right? But it might be more than around the, you know, you might tailor that in terms of some alternative commentary around maximizing investment returns and, you know, the three methods. And, you know, I'd defer to you for the call to actions and things on that because that's more of your specialty. But I think you've got to be tasteful around what you're doing. You have to be respectful of all parties, but equally know that because we are in a space where tenants are receiving some of the highest percentage rental increases, you know, that we've seen then you can go onto any local community group and you only have to scroll through a week's worth of posts and there'll be somebody commenting about, I had one this morning myself in my own area, it was $6.40 a week rent, the rent increase went to $8.40 a week and it was all about how terrible the owner was for not respecting the hardship of that tenant. I'm not taking away from that tenant's issue, but to your point earlier, that person's cash flow issues, that landlord's cash flow issues, have potentially gone from, you know, two grand or three grand to, you know, four, six grand, you know, worth of costs for just interest alone in this last quarter. So we don't necessarily, we're not comparing apples with apples. I think you've just got to be tasteful is what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I've been on the right train for you there, but we have to market ourselves. It's what we do. It's who we are. And, you know, since the dawn of time, tenants and landlords, you know, that's why, we're now renters and rental providers, right? To try and 
bring those two groups into alignment, into evenness in terms of society's view. I agree with you. I think, you know, you do have to, you know, celebrate the wins, just do it tastefully. And mix it up. Like a lot of feeds I see, which you would, you know, I drive my way through these, you know, real estate businesses feeds. And if you've got 40 posts and 39 of them are all about your street records and that's all you're talking to, then that in itself is lending itself that when you say something about a rent increase, just using that as a crazy example, well, you're going to get jumped all over because there's already an energy around you. And so it's about, you know, peppering it with all of the full component of who you are, not just how big's my sale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just thinking, I heard someone else complaining the other day. It was about sales numbers that someone was being unrealistic because the suburb record had been set six months earlier. But the trouble is, is all consumers hear are the suburb records. They don't hear about any of the price adjustments, do they? No. So obviously, if the last known good was there was a record suburb price, well, why isn't my property selling for that now? You know, that can work against you, I suppose. Like if that's all they hear, I think, you know, maybe it's a more balance in marketing. I don't know. Yeah. Look, we're all very one-eyed. When we're a purchaser or a landlord, we're a vendor, tenant, we all just want to hear what we want to hear. We all just want to say what we want to say. I 100% agree. I cannot argue with that in any way, shape or form. But while there's been a lot of, you know, this year has been a hard year by all accounts, there's always a lot of, as I said at the beginning, there's always a lot of people particularly in your world, that are doing great things in the industry. So what are some of the standout things that you you don't have to mention names if you don't want to, but what are some of the standout things that you've seen from people in the industry this year? So I've seen some really cool givebacks to teams. I've seen some incredible cultural initiatives inside businesses. You know, we run bespoke retreats. So I put together two or three day events, sometimes one day events for clients, and we do you know, everything from the moment they kind of wake up at home until they end up back in their bedrooms. And they're these really beautiful learning and deep experiences together as a team, but working on the individual person as well as working on the business. So I've seen, you know, some really good examples of businesses actually, you know, getting that education and evolution and connection in play. And they have been fantastic. And sometimes you know, we've had different speakers and a whole range of things. It's not just me conducting those days, but we can go off to events. Yeah. And obviously I run some of those events, but it's also been nice to see people staging their own and kind of having these kind of almost like love-ins, you know, so that's been a lot of fun. And the results that come out of that have been exponential in terms of connection, engagement, you know, improved performances, sharing of ideas, efficiencies, you know, so that's been really good. I've loved that. We've seen in businesses them getting serious about compliance, which has been quite a new thing. And not only our business does this, but other businesses do this as well, where they go on and pretend to be fair trading. (laughs) And so businesses are actually getting ahead of it. You know, I suppose it's like a you know, you can get those cybersecurity guys that will try and hack your team and things. This is like, you know, trying to make sure you're compliant and going through and going, hi, you know, uh, fair trading's arrived, show me everything. And it's really interesting to see people wanting to do that and wanting to be compliant. So I've seen businesses doing that. 
there's been businesses that they've gone, right, you know what? Yeah, growth is hard. It's hard. It's hard normally, but it's going to be hard at a time where investors are going out of the market. So how do we actually step into that and say, right, it's hard, but what are we going to do to make it easier? And I've seen some really, like BDMs, I've seen some big uplift in not just individual BDMs, which I've seen, but also in creating these BDM teams within organisations as well. And it doesn't need to be a big business to do that. So I think that's fun. Obviously, with the outsourcing that we mentioned straight up, I look at outsourcing and obviously, of course, we have a trust accounting outsource business, but just pop that to the side for a minute because when I step into my consultant shoes, we look at outsourcing as being both offshore and onshore, or they call it in the States, nearshore. <laughs> and I read an article the other day, 50% of people in the US, I think it's over the next five years, will be contractors, right? So this whole idea that outsourcing is the Philippines, like it's just not, like that's an option. But I think what I'm seeing is businesses getting really smart with you know what, this is a function that could be done by somebody who's not necessarily employed by our business. So, you know, I think WA does it really well when they do their PCRs, they outsource PCRs, so property condition reports. But I've seen businesses where they outsource the PCR to Bill, who's actually sitting in the office, right? So Bill's got his own business and he's doing it. So he's like totally owning this space and everything about it, but it's not a function that's technically done by that company. And so I'm seeing some very creative things with that. I'm seeing people, you know, really going out, being more au fait with going outside of their organisation to find key skills and services when I need it, both in the short, medium and long-term kind of contracts. And then, of course, tech. Tech is just, you know, you're the AI queen, so I'll leave, you know, all of that to you. I look to you for guidance on that. That's just a whole other space. But I think that people are aware of it at the moment. They want to know more about it. But I'd still say that in the main, we're all kind of sitting on the fence with how does it best get used in our businesses? And um, I know you've been having some fun with that around the country. Yeah. I I think that's a fun thing they're playing with. Yeah, you'll have to join me in Sydney. You know, I think there's plenty of stuff doing that area, but that is the key thing, I think, is like how are we going to use it? And like you said earlier, it's just I really think we're entering a new period of getting strategic and creative with our businesses like you know I don't know I'd even go so far as to say I don't know if success leaves so many clues anymore like I think we've got to kind of look forward and look for new things and play with new things yeah and that's probably that point right like I know I'm harping on about data and numbers but you do like as you said you know how much I love them and I think that when you've got that solidified right and you've got it to go back to it almost creates like a bit of a backbone for you in the business that you can go out and try something new. You can go and, you know, embark on a new AI concept or, you know, build out some new materials or communication strategies. You can play with that because you know what your backbone is. And then it's like you go to the races. Everybody will be doing this for Melbourne Cup. And when you're at the races, you don't go there not knowing how much you're not caring how much you're going to lose. Everybody goes there typically with an amount that they're prepared to lose for the day, right? And if they win, great. And if they don't, well, it's been a fun day out for the novice betters. But 
that's kind of, to me, what experimentation and creativity is. It's like, I've got this backbone here. I'm not going to touch that, right? I'm not going back to the business ATM, but I am prepared to take this amount of money. And you know what? I'm going to invest in checking out some other stuff. And if it doesn't work, hey, I've learned something new. And if it does work, well, it's been a great day out, you know? And I'm going to take those winnings, you know, that winning process strategy concept, and I'm going to do something even better with it next time. And, you know, that to me is so, so powerful. I do that in my own business and, you know, it's done me well for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's real VC thinking, you know, because that's what venture capitalists do is they'll bet on 10 businesses knowing that only one of them really is going to work out and it's actually their strategy. Yeah. Oh, well, now I'm a VC. Sam, add that to the resume. (laughs) I just think you're a maverick. That's all. So speaking of mavericks, The next thing I want to know, probably one of the final things I want to know from you is what are you reading at the moment? Because you always read some interesting books and you're always listening to some interesting people. Who's Fiona learning from at the moment? Oh my gosh, what a question. Okay, I'm going to be honest because I always am. And people will want to know what business book I'm reading. I'm not reading a business book at the moment, actually. I'm completely obsessed with Trent Dalton and he has just released his new book, And I'm obsessed with him because I love his brain. And so I am loving that. And if you look at what I'm doing, sitting in my inbox is I want to do an MBA, but with all of the other pockets that I've got going on, that's proving problematic. And so I have a mini MBA that's sitting in my inbox that I'm doing. I say it's sitting in my inbox because I haven't started it yet. And then I actually listen to After Hours HBR which is normally three presenters from out of the States. It's part of the uh, TED Institute. And they just tend to talk about economic things that are happening widely spread, like we're talking about sports economics recently. And so I try to actually go outside of this space completely and pick up little bits and pieces from there. And so I guess second to last question, we're getting very close to, you know, where that red man in the red suit comes down the chimney. What are you hoping for for Christmas this year? (laughs) Time, just time. You know, last year, I always have a word of the year. And when I was away last year, I couldn't come up with one word. I came up, I'm just looking here because they're actually on my screensaver on my phone. And I came up with five. And first one was create space. Second was cut the noise. Third was take action. Fourth was have adventures. And fifth was feel joy. And when I say I want time, time is something that we constantly chase. We all want more of it. So when I say I want time is that I want to create actually a gift for myself, which is to ensure that I have presence of mind every day to follow these five things and to value the time the life that I have and how I use it and the impact that my time has on other people, be that my engagement with them or non-engagement with them. And it's a finite thing, right? I just always want time, more of it. (laughs) Definitely. I think some time out over Christmas is always, you know, it's always welcomed by everyone. I guess finally, and and you would know this because you've been on the podcast before, but there is one question I ask everyone as their final question, and that is, 
Yeah. If there was one thing that you would like to leave people with who are listening to this podcast, what would it be? I would like to leave a message for business leaders. And that is when you own a business and you have team members around you, you have a responsibility to own a business. And by that I mean to operate it as a business, to take everybody on a journey with you, to care about them all as individuals in 2023, not 1923. And I say that it's pretty blunt, but I still, you know, again, go back to that core thing of the numbers, know your why, understand all the numbers and the metrics of your business or get somebody to help you with them and then bring everybody around you to grow with them and you. And I think when you do that, you can have a really powerful place and you'll get the results you're after. And a powerful 24 as well. And a powerful 24, yeah. Absolutely. Fiona Blaney, thank you so much. Signing out. Thanks, Sam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to Connect Now. To stay in touch with all things Elite Agent, sign up for our daily newsletter, The Brief, at eliteagent.com slash subscribe.